0: Why are there so many names for God? How come the Bible is so hard to make sense of? What is the key to clarity of mind? We explore the nuances of understanding and perspective right now in the NCE Spotlight, your home for fresh insights from the ongoing translation of the New Century edition of Swedenborg's Theological Works. Knock, knock. Jonathan Rose?
1: Hello. Hey there. Come on in. Nice to see you. Wow, you guys look great. Thank you.
0: Thanks, thanks. I was just thinking, it's really unfair of us that we never tell you when we're going to (laughs) come. We always (laughs) change the time on you. So, I don't know. I like the element of surprise, though. It's, uh,
1: I find I'm always ready. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: that's what we love about you. So... (laughs) here you are (laughs) being awesome as the series editor of the new century edition translation of swedenborg's theological works and as always i'm so curious to see what what spiritual territory we might be covering today like what what's the journey that's ahead of us it's always like a like we go through some portal somewhere and then we come back so where are we going today
1: yeah, I want to talk this time about eventual understanding would be the heading. And uh, I just want to say that it's so fun to do this because I love the way that it. Um, it's just a simple format, but it brings out both these amazing things that Swedenborg says, but also the amazing job that Lisa Hayek Cooper has done of mm-hmm. rendering them in readily intelligible English. Mm. I mean, we've said it before, but it's really the truth. You guys at this moment have no idea what I'm about to say. No idea.
0: <laughs> Nothing at all.
1: It's going to come from Swedenborg, but you don't yeah. have any idea what it is. And so your ability to absorb it sight unseen, uh, <laughs> you know, is, is a good sign of of what a great job she's Doing with this translation.
0: That's a great point. And, and for people who maybe don't know, it's like that Swedenborg was writing these texts in the 18th century, and this particular masterwork that we're exploring currently of the volumes of Secrets of Heaven was the early 1750s. And that's right. And he was writing in Neo Latin. And that's right. And so that very quickly went out of fashion to. Published in Neo Latin, as far as I understand, and so it, <laughs> That's right. it very quickly became necessary to translate Swedenborg's works into local vernaculars, and uh, and so, but nothing's quite. It's it's been a long time for that anything like the New Century Edition has been undertaken, where you're doing all of Swedenborg's published theological works and rendering them in accessible modern English.
2: I love. I love uh, Lisa's translation. And I think yes. what it does and what, you know, the whole editing team and everyone that's working hard on it, I yeah. think what it does is it exposes another amazing feat, which is that Swedenborg's message that was penned in, as we're saying here, 1750s, feels absolutely fresh now. Yes. Like when when you, I know that whatever you've picked out for me, I am going to say, you know, for, for Chelsea and I here, I know I'm going to say, well, that's cool. Even though it was written super long ago.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's right. I
1: know it feels out ahead rather than behind us. You know, it, it feels more of the future than the past.
0: And I will say too, that I think part of the magic maybe is because it is that these new century edition translations have a certain magic to them. And they, uh, there's a teamwork that's going on, you know, that it's uh, oftentimes you'll have like a single single translator translating a lot of work books, but this is like this big team that has this whole methodology. So it's just like, there's something beautiful that just comes out of it. So it's really awesome.
1: I, I, I'm happy you said that. And it really has been an amazing thing to be part of because I don't think it's ever happened before that uh, four translators sat down at the beginning and decided, along with some other people on the editorial committee, mm-hmm. uh, how to do the whole thing before the first word hit the page. You know, nice. Uh, not that it hasn't evolved, but that there was a lot of meetings and thought about what we're doing, who are we doing it for, and and so on. It's just been an amazing thing to be be part of.
0: Mm. We get to reap the benefits right now. Bring it on.
1: Right now. So this is, again, from Secrets of Heaven, Volume 4. It's just so full of these wonderful gems. Uh, This one is just an interesting little tidbit that kind of answers a question that some people have when they encounter Swedenborg's works, which is like, well, if God is really one— why would the New Testament keep talking about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you know? Right. And why in the Old Testament would you have God Shaddai or translated God Almighty or, you know, Jehovah or Yahweh here and then it's Adonai or something else, you know? Uh, just why 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 so many names? Uh, I never remember reading this little explanation in 3035 until editing this. Hmm. In the literal meaning here and elsewhere, it looks as though Jehovah means some other person who is higher up. But that's what the literal meaning is like. It separates what the inner meaning unites. Mm. The reason for the separation is that people on earth who need to learn from the literal meaning cannot picture one unless they first picture many. What? (laughs) With us What is singular forms out of what is plural. To put the same thing another way, that which is simultaneous forms out of that which is sequential. Within the Lord are many different things, and they all constitute Jehovah.
0: Whoa.
1: Kind of a mind boggler, right?
0: That's wild. Yeah. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) It's strange, but it's sort of like as if, Like what it is to get sort of binocular vision or something where you you know it takes a while to get those two eyes to turn into one 3D image in your brain
0: right yeah or like you need multiple points to make a picture up in your head or something yeah
2: yeah I love those examples and I guess there's this almost revelatory sentence that people will say sometimes we're all one yes and that's different than saying oh yeah there's one pencil on the table it's like oh it's this amazing truth that we're all one because we're all these different things but we're all one and I guess also wow that's cool it's a it can be a sign of wisdom to recognize that something is one even to like if you couldn't that hmm. very pencil that I was talking about if you just knew that there were somehow you just knew about all oh, the little shards of wood or we could go down all the way to atoms or something are there but if you somehow realize oh wait a second when this one moves all the other ones move with it they're actually one pencil together <laughs> but that's that's kind yeah. of picking it out more so hmm. maybe it's like that maybe that to form like a real hmm like deep, meaningful concept of God being a one, we have to see how his different parts are one.
1: Yeah, we start by noticing differences, which is sort of the way the eye is anyway. Here's where one thing ends and there's where another thing begins. But but then to start to see the patterns, uh, isn't that something that's really difficult for computers aren't all those things that say which of these boxes has a bicycle in it and stuff <laughs> yes. like that is, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, because they're, uh. that sort of, no, there's something called a bicycle and it doesn't really matter how different they look uh, you know, oh, it's nice. almost like that platonic yep. idea or something of, of bicycle. That, that's really interesting.
0: That's really cool. And for some reason I just want to tack on here the fact that I guess because I was like struck by it earlier today that um, when it comes to f- having names for God, like it's a tricky business, you know, because you're always limiting something that you know is way bigger than any yeah, word. Right. And that's why there's traditions where you don't say the name of God because it's like, we're going to get it. It's just, you know, it's more than we can put into words. But... Yeah, uh, that's right. But I, in some... uh you know, in Swedenborg's writings and in the way people have spoken about Swedenborg's writings in the past is like to address God as the divine humanity. So like, or like the divine human one or the divine Mm. humanity is what I just heard read recently was the divine humanity and like capital D, capital H. And I just, I just found myself like, yeah, I like that. Like that works for me. So anyway, just another, another name of God that to throw out there into the mix. Yeah.
1: Right, and and another one where an earthly perspective says does not compute. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yes. you can't do that. <laughs> That's by definition a violation of some kind of, you know, philosophical boundary or something. But but from a higher level perspective, it's like beautiful. And Swedenborg goes going on and on about how God
2: is one thing. God is one thing. Oh, yeah, by the way, God is goodness and truth, or or God is love and wisdom, but they're distinguishably one thing. Yes. Is there's, (laughs) there is this, it's not just, you just could have said there's just God, and then you can split God into two things that you would call love and wisdom. But Swedenborg is adamant that, no, there's God, God is love and wisdom, but they're united as one thing in God.
0: Mm. And even that, like you're saying, like you were saying earlier, Curtis, like that, it is it is of wisdom to understand how united they are, like you were saying, rather than we can fall prey to like, oh no, these things are very different from each other, goodness and truth and, you know, love and wisdom or something, so. So Mm. great.
1: This next passage about eventual understanding is about a certain meaning of um, scriptural images So here he explains something that has to do with that image in the New Testament that the Lord was resurrected on the third day. I generally tend to think of that as something that happened thousands of years ago, uh, but Swedenborg explains a meaning of that uh, that I find very interesting here, and it fits under this heading of eventual understanding. The Lord's resurrection on the third day involves the additional idea the truth that is divine will be revived at the close of the age. I want to hit hmm. pause and say that there's this, it comes up in Matthew and some of the other gospels about the close of the age and some older translations of the consummation of the age and or the end of the age and, and um, what will it be like? You know, Jesus, when he was in the world, was predicting these things that were going to happen in the future that were kind of cataclysmic and, and what would happen then at the close of the age. And what Swedenborg is saying here is that truth that is divine will be revived at the close of the age, the close of the age also being the third day. So that kind of blows my mind because, wait a minute, yes. I thought the third day was something that happened thousands of years ago. but. He's, no, the Lord rising on the third day was that image of that's actually thousands of years will go by and then we'll enter this kind of resurrected state. Hmm. And then he goes on and says, that is, the word will be understood in its inner meaning as it was by the ancient church. This is why it is said that the Son of humankind, meaning truth that is divine, hmm. will then appear in those same kind of passages in matthew 24 he'll say the son of humankind will appear in the clouds of heaven you know with power and great glory and and that sort of thing and and so eventual understanding something that will be part of this new religious era is that the word the bible will be understood in its inner meaning and that concept was not new to me but i never heard him say it in connection with that resurrection on the third day. I just thought that was a really interesting connection.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting.
1: Well, I think it
2: harkens back to the conversation we were just having about the multiple unity of God and the different names for God. And there I hear I'm using the son of God to be talking yeah. about this particular part of god which is the understanding of the truth of the inner meaning of the word and that we have to to get something about that we have to understand yeah that's that's not god but it's a part of god because god is many things as one so i just feel like we're using we're it's already on the test you know
0: yes yeah there's something well about the third day that you were saying is that also like I mean, doesn't Swedenborg say that, well, no, what does he, like, even at the time of Jesus, that was a close of the age, right? And now he describes that we're in another one, right?
1: Yes. Now there's another one, right.
0: So another sort of third day and and that that, uh, it's it's valuable. That's what I think. <laughs> like, it's worth... <laughs> It's worth the effort. Like, thanks, Swedenborg, for this information about the uh, inner meaning of the Bible to be able to be having even this kind of a conversation, you know, these sort of Hmm. meta moments. Like, It's very helpful.
1: (laughs) And something about that idea that something happened and that was very important. Something did happen on that third day and so on. Mm -hmm. And yet, in a way, that was just foreshadowing something. Yes. As if even thousands of years later, the Lord will be, in some sense, becoming much more than he was.
0: Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. You know, like, next level. Uh, Very cool.
0: Yes. These long, long arcs of time. I mean, I think it was for one of our shows that we did one time that it really hit me about, you know, as soon as, you know, in the ancient parable of of Adam and Eve in the garden and, like, as soon as they leave the garden, there's this prophecy of God coming um, with the oh, whole right. snake and I'm going to bruise his heel and all that stuff. And, like, right. and that's the earliest record that we have in our in the bible and that that hearkened you know to the lord's coming if that you know as uh as swedenborg describes it so then again when jesus is at the end of his life and rising on the third day that's hearkening to some much further away moment Mm. as well or something oh it's awesome leaps of time
1: yeah the third passage I have for you is, um, Chelsea, you and I had a conversation, seems like weeks ago now, about the um, the spiritual thicket in yes. this volume. Uh, one of the stories in it is about the near sacrifice of Isaac, and yes. that there was a ram with its horns caught in the thicket. Yep. And I found another passage about this thicket that I just I just love and wanted to share with you and that has to do with how our perception and perspective is going to change, especially when we go to the other world. This is a little bit longer than those other ones. Great. The reason the word refers to secular facts as thickets (laughs) is that they are indeed relatively convoluted, especially when they favor the cravings of self-love and materialism and promote false assumptions. Love that is heavenly and spiritual is what brings the knowledge in the outer memory into order, while self-love and materialism is what undoes the arrangement and Mm. throws it all into confusion. (laughs) We do not notice because we turn, this is what we do, we turn orderly patterns into disorderly ones, good into evil, and truth into falsity. (laughs) (laughs) We should print that on a little business card or something. That's what we do. That's why it is all so tangled, he, he continues. Hmm. Another reason is, and I just think of that as being so true, I remember, I know I've used this analogy somewhere, I can't remember where, Of um, had this great experience with a granddaughter one time when she was really young, and uh, we were going to do the dishes together. And she carefully took all the clean dishes and put them back in the dirty soapy water. <laughs> you know, it was completely backward, but that's where we all start out, you know. <laughs> you start out doing it wrong, and then you sort of improve from there. Yes. Um, Swedenborg goes on. Another reason is that compared to the contents of the inner memory, which holds rational concepts... The contents of the outer memory, which holds earthly learning, are in a snarl or in a dense forest. Hmm. As long as people are living in their bodies, they cannot see how shadowy, black, and dark things are in that forest by comparison. While on earth, they imagine that the outer memory is the fount of all wisdom and understanding. (laughs) But eventually they will reach the other world and gain the use of their inner memory's contents. Then they will see that the outer memory, the memory proper to people living in the world, contains anything but the light of wisdom and understanding. <laughs> they will see that its contents are relatively dark, disorganized, and tangled.
0: Nice. Oh, my goodness. That's wonderful. I... I have a couple of thoughts and one is just another reflection on children and our nature that it's like I witnessed with my kids you go for for the first bunch of time kids only know how to deconstruct things you know <laughs> like, yes it's, it's definitely another stage when kids start liking to put things <laughs> together like destruction comes first like let's turn this into disorder like if there's clothes in the laundry basket we're going to throw them around the room you know if there's yep. toys that are put away we're going to dump out the toys and so true that is just so apparent um and then and then the whole like universally i think of the sort of the fact of entropy you know and that in the universe there's this back and forth between entropy that is always happening and then uh, you know emergence, this possibility of emergent, these organized, amazing, you know, structures or ecosystems or everything that's like, wait, this does not make sense. How did this happen? Because, and yet, it's mm. this is somehow the perfect balance that there is that sort of law of entropy, and yet somehow we have humans being created, you know, and uh, and then beyond, like such amazing things.
2: Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I think it's in spiritual experiences that Swedenborg talks about some people he knew very well personally um, who really saw memory as the key to excellence. If you had a good memory, you were intelligent, you were wise, you were amazing. And so, people who had a good memory, who learned some languages and knew some facts and could cite things and remember the names of things and whatever, you know, they were considered highly intelligent and highly learned. And, um, Swedenborg's spiritual experience really, like, ah, uh, not so much. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, because you just dump things into your memory and they're in there for various reasons and half of it's wrong. And, <laughs> um, And so I love that idea. It's kind of merciful in a way that the point at which you realize how tangled and dark that thicket is that you've had your horns in all that time is when you have access to a more organized memory, your inner memory, where things are orderly and they make sense in their structure. And then you, oh, my goodness, you know, (laughs) then you realize... Oh uh, what a tangle <laughs> yes. you've lived with in the in the meanwhile. Isn't it interesting that those people
2: that Swedenborg was describing with their really robust prime memories, they've would be obsolete today because you ask me any question, give me yes. twenty seconds and I can look up the answer to it. That's right. So, I think that's that's a sign of it being more and more external thing to be able to recall a bunch of information but there's right. no there's no substitute for the right uh, the right lens to look at life through the, the mm. how do you process that information what do you do with it and I think that's the, the regenerated will that Swedenborg was talking about and I think that when I think about the thicket of the external mind it's it's a great picture because the way that, like, I'm thinking of pricker bushes and things, the way they sit on each other, and you just, you'd think, I can kind of walk through that, it's just plants, but you try to get get in there and you can't. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) I just got a hole in my coat from walking by a pricker and it cutting my coat. (laughs) (laughs) So, I know what you're describing.
2: Yeah, and it's nothing, the idea of trying to untangle something like that manually is exhausting. Mm. But the idea of, oh, there's going to be some automatic restructuring. There's just a whole upgrade you can do to get to a place with more order. Um, it's, it's
0: enticing. That's such a good point. I was just, it was making me think of how it's like, it's what you, to your first point of like, it's not about what you know, and that's obvious, you know, today. It's about what do you do with what you know? Like that's what matters. And uh and even I was happened to be hearing about this consumer behavior report, and it's like what matters to consumers is are you having a positive social impact in the world? That actually informs their buying choices as much as are you creating high quality things and is the price decent enough for me? You know, but it's like it's like we all know there's knowledge out there, but it's like, what are you doing? And that really is what matters.
1: Yeah, it gets to purpose and priorities and things like that. I think this this comes up in leadership a lot because um, often leaders are, especially the higher up you go, they're surrounded by people who know more than they do, experts. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, a constant. Uh, you know, barrage of information from, from experts. But what the leader needs to do, the leader doesn't need to know all that or grasp all of it mm. as much as know what is more important, this is more important than that. Yeah. You know, or choose, you know, make a decision. We're going here, we're doing it because of this. This is what we're attempting to do. Yeah. And um, Yeah, and I love the thought It's really striking what you said, Curtis, because um, there would be a tendency to think, well, I've got to straighten out this this mess, this tangle. Yes. But it's a beautiful design that there's another level to the mechanism Mm -hmm. where everything is just inherently orderly. And at some point you just drop off that outer stage of the rocket kind of thing and you get into yeah. I'm mixing metaphors here but <laughs> but you get up to that next level where you know you, you you'd, to some extent you're straightening those things out but to to another extent you you just move upstairs where it's tidier yeah
0: it's so true what you were saying and that is so striking that that's that's just what that goodness does what that love does that Swedenborg's describing that lives in that upper chamber that that just you get that in order and then its perspective just orders everything it it doesn't even need to see it doesn't even see a mess because it's so apparent of like oh no this is what this is what I need you can let go of all the rest of that you know there's no it's almost effortless you know once you're there
2: it's yeah that's think about. that's a great point it makes me think of in here in Pennsylvania, there are a lot of invasive vines. So these are plants that came from other parts of the world. And so they just totally overrun everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a like a nature restoration trust near where I live, where they're trying to restore the ecosystem. And for these patches of land where these vines will grow up and grow up. You could go in there and say, well, okay, I'm going to go out and try to pull this vine out and cut this one down. And okay, now next year, they're all growing back or in two weeks, they're all growing back. But what they do instead is they plant trees and just Mm. clear the trees. And by the time the trees mature, the shade that they create makes Mm. it so those vines don't grow anymore, and that's really You could never solve that problem without a <laughs> a solution that's of that magnitude. And per, you have to change the environment. Yeah. And so uh, something about the energy of that seems to me like the like the putting those trees in, you know, is is like moving to the higher mind.
0: Yes. Oh, it's so cool, so great, beautiful. Wow. Well, these times where we come visit you, Jonathan, really are timeless i sort of lose track of time and space but here we are and it needs to come to an end but ah we will we will definitely be back again and so great to get to spend this time and have these reflections and share it with both of you so thanks
1: yes we'll be back in five minutes I hope I'll find uh, one or two more interesting things in Swedenborg's works.
0: Yeah, we'll see. We may we may be exhausted <laughs> all of them. I don't know. Yeah, we'll yeah just,
1: that might that, that
0: might be the end of the line. I don't yeah.
2: know. <laughs> it was we had a great run while it lasted. It was good.
0: It was good. <laughs> 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 Tap there. All down. right. Yep. Well, we we won't tell you when we're coming back, next. You'll just never know. We'll come surprise you. So okay. <laughs> all right. Until then. I hope your heart was uplifted and your mind inspired by this week's NCE Spotlight. Subscribe to the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast to tap into this stream of fresh insights and join us on our excursions into the historical context of Swedenborg's life and works. All passages quoted in this episode are sneak peeks from upcoming volumes of the New Century Edition translation of Secrets of Heaven. If you've benefited from the work of the Swedenborg Foundation through Off the Left Eye and the New Century Edition, Consider supporting us with a donation. We are a nonprofit and depend on the support of our donors. To give, go to swedenborg.com/donate and thank you for listening.